Today on Blue 58, the Packers are nearing their NFC Championship game showdown with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. What do they have to do to get to another Super Bowl? I think it's pretty clear. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of ThePowerSweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. Very happy to be with you here for another episode. Happy to be with you here. Wish it was under better circumstances because late this afternoon we received news that Ted Thompson, the former general manager of the Green Bay Packers, had passed away at the age of 68. I didn't want to initially spend a whole lot of time on this, but I kind of just want to make one thing clear. A A lot of times on this show we talk about how this or that thing is more than football, or this or that thing has some additional importance beyond the game. This is that in the biggest possible way. Ted Thompson had his faults as a general manager, but on balance, he was an excellent one. But I think he was an even better person. Not that you'd know it from hearing him talk, because he didn't say much of anything at all. But seeing the tributes come out from former players, former coaches, people who worked with him on a daily basis today, just drives home that people thought the world of him. Just an incredible individual to be around. You don't get the sense from the way the Packers have handled this that this was entirely unexpected. I think there were signs there dating back to when they inducted him into the Packers Hall of Fame that they knew that his time with us here was was coming to an end. And the speed with which they had video tributes and things like that out about him kind of drives that home for me. But why should they not be prepared for something like this? Why should they not be prepared to lionize one of the great figures in Packers history? Because Thompson is a mythic figure in the Packers organization. He is responsible for the last decade and a half of the Packers being a very, very good team, a very, very good organization. I don't want to turn this into score settling with people who dislike him because I don't think you're ever going to convince those people. And those people have been vocal, but few in the wake of Thompson's very untimely passing. Untimely is a word we need to drive home here. 68 years old is far too young. But to those people who do dislike him, recognizing that we're never going to convince them anyway, we do need to say this. Fifteen teams have Super Bowl appearance droughts that predate Ted Thompson's arrival as general manager. Not victories. They haven't even gotten to the game. If you're dissatisfied with what the Packers have done in the Aaron Rodgers era, that's fine. But just identify for me which of these teams you would rather be. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they haven't been to the Super Bowl in 18 years. The Houston Texans, 19. The Titans, 21. The Cowboys, 25. The Chargers, 26. The Jaguars, 26. The Bills, 27. The Washington football team, 29. The Bengals, Dolphins, Vikings, Browns, Jets, Lions. The Lions haven't been to the Super Bowl ever. Ever. Since it's been called the Super Bowl, they have not been to the game. Which of those teams would you prefer to be? Because compared to that, one Super Bowl seems like an awful lot. 
And in the Ted Thompson era, the Packers had more than a few chances to win another Super Bowl. There's only so much that a guy like Ted Thompson can do, though. He can't get out there and catch an onside kick himself. He can't get out there and not throw a boneheaded interception to the New York Giants. He can't get out there and drag a injury-depleted team to the 2016 Super Bowl like Aaron Rodgers did. Though if you do want to have a gripe with Ted Thompson, adding more talent to that roster down the stretch is, I think, a legitimate one. But just tell me, would you prefer to be the Tennessee Titans? No Super Bowl appearances in more than a generation. Would you prepare to be the Cowboys, a team with a history just as storied as the Packers? Has it even sniffed a Super Bowl in 25 years? Thompson was a great GM. And he was the best when he was making the hard decisions. Ted Thompson took over as general manager in 2005. From 2005 to 2008, he drafted Aaron Rodgers. He hired a new head coach. He cut traded or otherwise moved on from Mike Wall, Marco Rivera, Darren Sharper, Javon Walker, and Brett Favre. He signed Charles Woodson, who was anything, anything but a sure thing when he came to Green Bay. Take some stones to do that, man. And that is a heck of a run of good decisions, even if it goes downhill from there, and it doesn't for a long time. That is a heck of a run. He was just really great. And sure, he wasn't perfect. But that puts him in good company with the rest of us. Did he make some mistakes that in retrospect seem really obvious? Yeah, definitely. But again, that's right there with the rest of us. I have an uncomfortably long list of mistakes I've made in my life that are blindingly obvious in retrospect. Ted Thompson's no different from that. And if you can still make mistakes like that and have a resume of successes as long as he did, I think you're doing all right. And agree with what he did or not, you can't say he wasn't trying to do what was right for the team. And he was. That should always be clear. I don't think that was ever in doubt. I'm especially moved by Thompson's passing because of the fundraiser we just concluded. Thompson had some sort of autonomic disorder. I don't know if it's especially ever been confirmed, and it's not really important what it is. Because anything that's related to mental decline is awful and horrible, and it's a thief of all sorts of good things in life. And we should have the utmost compassion for anybody who deals with that sort of thing. And seeing all of Thompson's many, many friends come out of the woodwork to talk about what a great man he was lessens the sadness of that a little bit, while somehow making it a little bit more poignant in the short term. A lot of people are going to miss Ted Thompson an awful lot, and I think we as Packers fans owe him a great debt of gratitude for what he did with our team in his time at the helm. Yes, it wasn't perfect, but it was pretty pretty great. Let's talk about the game at hand. I think the best way to approach this NFC Championship game is talking about what the Packers have to do to win. Debated doing a straight-up normal preview for this, but I thought, really, what's the point? 
We've played the Rams once this year already, and we've talked about what they do well and who their team really is. And while their team, I think, has gotten better since week six, they're playing better in a lot of ways. They're not really all that different. The offense approaches things a little bit different. The defense is still excellent. But many of the things that were true about the Buccaneers in week six are true about them now. They've got a strong defense. They've got great athletic inside linebackers. They've got a strong defensive front. They're going to kind of dare you to pass. So how do the Packers defeat this team? How do they defeat a team led by Tom Brady on offense? I think the best way to think about it is paths to victory. What course do the Packers need to take to win? How many of them are there? How many of them do they have to achieve to make sure that they come out on top? Let's start on offense. I think there are four real things the Packers have to do here. First and foremost is protecting Aaron Rodgers. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers love to blitz, and they do it very creatively. And it was blitzing that really confounded Rodgers in Week 6. He's played much better against the blitz since then, but it did not go well that day. But if the Packers can protect Aaron Rodgers, if they can neutralize that blitzing, they can have a lot of success because I think the Packers have the personnel elsewhere on offense to make life miserable for the Buccaneers. Protecting Aaron Rodgers is not going to be an easy thing, though. The Buccaneers can get pressure on you a lot of different ways. And one of the most obvious ways is scheming open their heat-seeking missile Devin White in the middle of their defense. He's one of the best pass-rushing inside linebackers in football, perhaps the best. Has nine sacks on the year, gets him in a variety of different ways. The Packers will have to be on their toes to protect Aaron Rodgers, and perhaps the best way to do that is to make those inside linebackers think. We'll get to that in a second, but the next thing I think the Packers really need to make sure that they're doing is identify and exploit mismatches. One of the things that the, the Packers did not do really at all in their first meeting with the Buccaneers was pre-snap motion. It was a big part of their offense coming into that game, but with Tyler Irvin out, they were basically static up front, and that really, really hurt the Packers. Moving before the snap is how you identify man versus zone. It's how you create mismatches. We saw that in a big way when the Packers uh, used it down by the goal line to spring Devontae Adams open on that short touchdown pass from Aaron Rodgers. Use pre-snap motion in creative ways to identify and exploit those mismatches because those mismatches are going to be there. With Alan Lazard back, that opens up all sorts of things in the Packers passing game. First and foremost, Alan Lazard is going to be a tough cover for just about anybody out there. If they line him up in the slot, he'll be playing against much smaller opponents. If they line him up outside, that allows either Devontae Adams or Marquez Valdez-Scantling to slide into the slot, and that helps the Packers in a variety of ways. First, because Devontae Adams is just great, and secondly, because MVS can do all sorts of interesting things with his speed, and by that I mean he can do one really interesting thing, and that's run really, really fast in a straight line, but that is a very useful skill for a receiver to have. The mismatches are going to be there, and identifying them and exploiting them is going to be key to the Packers winning on Sunday. Related to that, I want the Packers to be sure that they take a couple deep shots in this game. If there is something that concerns me, it's that the Packers lost two regular season last games last year to similar opponents. 
and didn't seem to change anything for the playoffs. They lost to the 49ers and the Chargers in the regular season and then got blasted by the 49ers again by rolling out basically the same game plan. Try to pass short and just see what happens. Rodgers did not do a good job pushing the ball down the field in that game. Didn't really even try. When against the 49ers, the real thing you want to do is try to exploit Richard Sherman deep. There are weaknesses to be had in the Tampa Bay defense, particularly if you go deep into the left, and that's partly because of how good a coverage linebacker Levante David is. He typically plays on the right side of Tampa's defense. Their left side suffers as a result. They've got to move things around at the back end, and it really doesn't quite work. If the Packers can find a way to exploit their mismatches either with MVS or Lazard or whoever to get deep, especially to the left side of the field, they'll be in really, really good shape. It'll just be up to Lazard and MVS to catch it, which is no sure thing. However, we should add that a big reason the Packers' offense struggled in Week 6 is because they spent a lot of time throwing the ball collectively to Darius Shepard and Equinemius St. Brown, just back from injury, and Malik Taylor. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't get particularly excited about any of those guys as receivers, and I'm probably one of the bigger Equinemius St. Brown fans out there. Not quite so big as my Acme Packing Company colleague, Tex Western, but I'm up there near the front of his bandwagon. But I would prefer targets be going to Alan Lazard over anybody on that list, and I would prefer Marquez Valdez-Scantling probably over anybody on that list as well. So if the Packers can find a way to spring those guys, I think they are in good shape, and good shape to take a couple of deep shots. Finally, finally, don't get, don't quit running, but don't get too enamored with it either. So the Buccaneers have probably the best run defense in football. They're right up there at the top in all of the stats, traditional and advanced. And on balance, I think it's safe to say they are the best run defense. They're certainly the best run defense still remaining in the NFL's Final Four. So the Packers might be tempted to just say, well, we're not going to run at all. Besides, running last time around didn't work all that well. But I think that would be a mistake. And I think we can use this discussion to answer a question we got from Discord this week. Discord user Serb Packer asks, what do you think the Packers do? Or which way do you think the Packers go this weekend? Pass to establish the run or run to establish the pass? I think it's pretty clearly the former. They're going to be passing to establish the run. But the run is going to be an important complementary part of what they do. If you look at the numbers in neutral situations, so game's still a contest. They're not trying to run out the clock. Usually on first and ten, so you're not playing situational football. The Packers run slightly more than they, or pass, excuse me, slightly more than they run. A little over 55% of the time in neutral situations, they're going to call a pass. And I think that's about right. I might even like to see that a little bit higher. But I think the Packers can use that formula successfully against the Buccaneers this weekend. But it's going to be important how they run. I think there are two ways that I I would like to see the Packers approach the run game. Three ways, if you count what I'm about to say first. First, uh, don't try to string 
runs wide against these linebackers. That didn't work in week six, and the Packers kept trying it, and it kept not working, and it got really irritating because they did not learn their lesson at all. So how do the Packers run then? First, I think they have to use those split zone runs that they do so well. The split zone is easy to identify, or at least a version of it. Basically, what you're going to be looking for is all of the Packers' offensive linemen going one one way, and then a tight end or H-back type player going the opposite way behind the behind the line. This is quite often uh, Bob Tunyon. Uh, it was Jay Sternberger frequently when he was healthy. It is Dominique Daphne. They're looking to kick out the backside defensive end and create a lane for the running back to cut back. You get the linebackers flowing all one way as they watch the offensive line, and then you've got a guy cutting back behind the line, springing him open, springing open the back, and away you go. That's one thing I'd like to see the Packers do, especially because that ties in really, really nicely with their bootleg passing game that they like to run. I also like split zone running because it is from under center, and the Packers' under center runs seem to be much more effective than their shotgun runs. I think that's primarily because you end up with your backs going downhill more than kind of stop starting out of the shotgun. But if they must run from shotgun, at least do it from that two-back package and use motion to lighten the box. We saw this a lot last weekend. Aaron Jones and uh, A.J. Dillon, who seems to be on track to play, line up in the backfield together. Jones motions out of the backfield, and suddenly A.J. Dillon is running into a light box. Running is a numbers game. You want to bring more blockers than guys who need blocking. It's kind of the exact inverse of blitzing on defense. You want to bring more guys who need blocking than they have blockers. Pretty simple, right? So do whatever you can if you must run from shotgun to create those favorable number situations. Get a light box for Jamal Williams and run him inside. Get a light box for Aaron Jones and let him slash through the middle. Their longest running play of last Saturday came on an inside run. There will be opportunities there if the Packers can create them. What about on defense? There are three things I think the Packers really need to do. First, hit Tom Brady. I was thinking this week about times that Tom Brady has lost in the playoffs, always an enjoyable pursuit. And the game that always springs to mind for me, other than the the most recent playoff loss he had, his last game in New England, still strange to say, by the way, but the game that springs to mind to me is the 2015 NFC Championship. And if you read our Wednesday walkthrough piece at acmepackingcompany.com, you may have seen me mention this. That game sticks in my mind because it's one of the few times outside of an injury that I have been concerned for a player's safety. Tom Brady was in terrible trouble that day. The Denver Broncos got after him in a way that I can't recall ever seeing any quarterback pursued. They sacked Tom Brady four times, but more importantly, they hit him 17 times. Absolutely incredible. At times, it looked like they were about to take the ball right out of his hands as he was getting it from shotgun because they had to snap it from shotgun all the time. 
they just had wave after wave after wave after wave of pass rushers hitting Tom Brady. And he played poorly through two interceptions. His passer rating that day was the second worst of his very, very long playoff career. The Packers need to do the same. And the best way they can do that is by collapsing the middle. That is point number two here, the second path to victory on defense for the Packers. Collapsing the middle of the Packer of the Buccaneers offensive line is crucially important. Tom Brady has never been the most mobile quarterback. Now it looks like he is carrying around a piano on his back. He is as good at manipulating the pocket, though, as any quarterback has ever been. The subtle movements to create tiny windows from which to throw has defined his game in large part. But a lot of that depends on there being an actual pocket for him to move around in. And the easiest way to get into or to eliminate that pocket is to come straight up the middle. The Packers are going to need Kenny Kenny Clark to have a big game. Almost did the Daryl Johnston, Kenny King thing there. They need Kenny Clark to have a big game. They need Zedarius Smith to rush well from the middle. Those things are not big asks because those are things they do very well, but they should be priorities for the Packers. They need to come right up the middle. Finally, the Packers need to play press man. The Buccaneers want to get deep. They want to go deep. And if you play press man, there is a chance that you will give up a big play now and then. However, However, giving up a big play now and then is less likely than just getting nickel and dime to death by Tom Brady. Tom Brady has made a career out of being one of the great short-to-intermediate passers ever. He throws short passes very, very well, throws intermediate passes very, very well. He throws deep passes historically pretty well, but that's not the bulk of his game. Throwing short to intermediate is a great way to be efficient, and it's a great way to take advantage of one of your best skills if you are Tom Brady, your accuracy and your timing and your decision-making. The only real way to take those attributes away from Tom Brady is to get up on his receivers and disrupt that timing. Force him to wait in the pocket and then deliver on-time tight window throws with pass rushers bearing down on him. I would expect that the Buccaneers will do something, a little bit of something, to counteract that a little bit. Discord user Carl asks this question. I I didn't like how it looked a couple of times last Saturday when the Rams went no huddle or hurry up, whatever you want to call it. Not sure if it was a product of playing soft defense or if it was confusion, among the defensive players with regard to assignments, roles, and schemes. The thought of Tom Brady going, hurry up, is scaring me a lot. It would be great to, if you could say something comforting on this topic. Wish there was something comforting I can say. I'm sure the Buccaneers are aware of that. However, however, if there is a point of comfort there, it is this. The Packers still have something to say. The Packers get a vote, too. It's not so much that Tom Brady can just run a hurry-up offense or the Rams can just run a hurry-up offense and you just go, oh, that's it. I guess they're going to hurry up. We have to be bad on defense now. You still get to have your own approach. Even if 
going hurry up does put you in a little bit of a bind, the Packers can still take confident steps to counteract that. Just because the Buccaneers are going quick doesn't mean that you have to change what you're doing. You can still play press man. You can still collapse the middle of the pocket. You just have to be more conscious of your substitution patterns. And this may be one of those situations, especially if the Buccaneers are still hurting a little bit at running back, where maybe Mike Pettin's predilection towards light defensive units is not a bad thing. Because if you're going with your dime package with a safety instead of a linebacker, or a nickel package with a safety down in the box like Adrian Amos, you're going to be less apt to get burned in the pass game if they go quick, provided that you are continuing to stick with your press man principles. If the Packers go soft zone, short zone again, I would expect to Tom, that Tom Brady and the Packers offense, or in the, in the Buccaneers offense, move the ball with some regularity. So who's going to win? In our weekly poll, 91.9% of Packers voters, we had more than 100 votes, so it's a pretty substantial margin here, 91.9% of Packers voters thought they would win this weekend. I don't want to say that's a remarkable amount of confidence. It's a lot of confidence, but it's not necessarily a sentiment I disagree with. Because I do think that the Packers are going to win on Sunday. I think based on what we've seen from Matt LaFleur and the Packers this year, that they are in a position to make adjustments based on things they have done poorly in the past. And the Packers played remarkably poorly against the Buccaneers. But if there is a silver lining to how they played against the Buccaneers, it is this. Their issues were very obvious. And as a result, their problems should be fairly straightforward fixes. Nearly said easy there. This is not going to be easy. The path to defeating Tom Brady is a simple one. That does not mean it is easy. Climbing Mount Everest is, in the grand scheme of things, relatively simple. It's considerably less complex than, say, going to the moon or diving to the bottom of the ocean or something like that. That does not mean it is easy. The Packers, I think, have some simple paths to success on Sunday. Protect Aaron Rodgers. Find mismatches on offense. Stick with your motion. Find creative ways to get a numbers advantage in the run. On defense, hit Tom Brady. Collapse the middle of the pocket. Play press man coverage. Those things are all simple. This is pretty basic football stuff. But that doesn't mean it is easy. And it's not going to be easy for the Packers on Sunday. 91.9% of you thought the Packers will win, though. And I agree with you. I think the Packers are headed to the Super Bowl. Let's finish out by talking about a Super Bowl hero for the Packers. Maybe not so much Super Bowl, but the way to get there, Tremont Williams rejoined the Packers officially today. And listener James asks via email with this seemingly imminent addition. He wrote this earlier in the day, so we did not have official word yet that Tremont Williams was coming back. But he says with the addition of Tremont Williams... Why would it be in the Ravens' interest to release a player like him now? Their season is over. He had signed a one-year deal. It would seem the move from Baltimore's end has no cap implications. How does he essentially become a free agent available to sign with any remaining team when he was on another team's actual playoff roster? That is a good question, and it is a good example of 
how sometimes this very craven, win-at-all-costs business of football can be nice sometimes. Because basically this move just amounts to the Ravens being some good dudes. They were done. They didn't have to release Tremont Williams, but they did. And that gives him a chance to sign with another team and play in the playoffs. It's really, it's that easy. They cut him, he can sign with another team. They didn't have to, but they did. It leads me to believe that perhaps he may have asked for his release. They didn't have to do that, but they did. It's it's not in the Ravens' interest to release a player like him right now. They don't have to do that. There's really no upside to keeping him, but they didn't have to cut him. They don't have to do things that players ask them to do, assuming that Tremont Williams did, but they did in this instance. And I'm glad they did because it's a nice little story to uh, to bring full circle. And it's a nice little Ted Thompson footnote on this podcast that's taking place, I guess, on the the doorstep of another Super Bowl appearance. Tremont Williams was one of Thompson's great free agent finds. His decision to bring him in in 2006 had long-running positive consequences for the Packers. He was a good player for as long as he was in Green Bay, left and was a good player when he came back, and now has another chance to be with the Packers. Interesting note on Williams. I don't know if I can think of another player who has signed as many different kinds of contracts as he has. So he initially signed an undrafted free agent contract with the Packers, became an exclusive rights free agent, then an ex- and uh, then a restricted free agent. Then he signed your bog standard free agent contract extension, left, signed a real free agent deal with a couple other teams, re-signed with the Packers as a true free agent in 2018, And now he's back again in the most unusual of circumstances, having been released by another playoff team. What a journey for Tremont Williams. What a legacy for Ted Thompson. What a podcast for us. The next time we speak with each other, we will know if the Packers are going to be in the Super Bowl or not. That's pretty exciting. Leading up to the Rams game, I think I was considerably more nervous than I am right now. I am not so much nervous because, or confident because I think the Packers are that much better than the Buccaneers. I think it's a situation where if the Packers play well, they can beat the Buccaneers. But it's more, I think, just having enjoyed the ride. This has been a pretty special season. It's been a great time to connect with all of you, whether that's on social media, via email, on Discord. Join our Discord, by the way. If you are a Patreon supporter, uh, you get access to that. It's a a nice little added feature there that we've been able to do. It's been fun to chat with people from all over the world, multiple countries represented there. But it's just been an enjoyable journey. And a lot more than heading into the Rams game, it feels like, at least personally, I've been able to savor it. And that's probably going to change a lot on Sunday. I've got a beef brisket sitting in my fridge that's probably going to take about 15 hours to smoke. And I'm thinking about doing it overnight Saturday into Sunday just so I have something else to think about Sunday morning prior to the game. Because there's a pretty good chance that I'm going to be a nervous wreck for most of this game. But I hope that together we can enjoy it. 
I hope that whatever happens, we can look back at the 2020 season amidst a pandemic, amidst everything else going on in the world, and remember the fun times that we had together because I've had a blast doing this. This is season number five for the Power Sweep coming to an end. And as I am conscious of the fact that I am rambling a little bit and extending this podcast, I, it, it's just, it's, it's pretty special. I thought about reading during this podcast um, Mike McCarthy's words about Ted Thompson. Boy, I, I'm glad I didn't because I wouldn't have gotten through that. But just stuff like that, it, it, reading it, it made me think of this show. Because being able to do this and, and connect with so many people from around the world has been really, really special. And this has been an, a, a special season to do that. So I hope the Packers win. I feel confident that they can. And I'm just looking forward to enjoying that game, whatever may happen. I hope you've enjoyed this season as well. And I hope we get two more weeks of podcasts in season leading up to the Super Bowl because that would really be something. So I've got for you in this episode. I appreciate you listening in. Appreciate everybody who has supported Blue 58 for the five years we've been running now and all throughout this season. If you enjoyed this show and you think somebody else would enjoy hearing it as well, I would appreciate it if you would share the show, uh, this episode, the show in general, whatever. That's going to get more people involved in this conversation we're having about the Packers and ultimately help all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. Because as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.